Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan and I were talking this week, and uh, I just said, there's no way I'm going to remember all those announcements. And he so I said, why don't you get up and make them? So he did. Y'all came to church. I'm so proud of you. Uh, thank you for coming. I was worried I was going to be the only one here, and uh, that was going to make me both cold and sad. But now I'm just cold, so it's good to see you. I really do appreciate you getting out and uh, making the effort. And I, I know that the Lord is going to bless you for it, and um, I, I hope you know that as well. Today we are finish, uh, going to continue our study of uh, Paul's conversion, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who was there as a young man. He was there when, when Stephen was stoned, and we're told that, that he just uh, he was breathing out curses and oaths and asking for permission to go from town to town and round up uh, both men and women who are followers of Jesus. And, uh, and today we're going to ask how someone could be someone who spent their life studying the Word of God, who, who made it their, their lifetime devotion from the time they were 12 years old to know God's Word, someone who was passionate and wanted... It's easy for us to look at Saul and go, well, he was, he was kind of a hypocritical, fake believer. He wasn't the real thing. Oh, he was the last of the true believers. He was, was part of this, this sect that wanted to see a revival of true, internal, pure religion called the Pharisees. And he wanted to root out any false ideas and that's why Christianity bothered him so much, these followers of the way. And the interesting thing is the more believers he was confronted with, the angrier he got. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Just Really, it's about our capacity to believe lies and how hard it is to lay lies aside and believe the truth. Uh, that was what the call to worship was about, right? This is the judgment that, that God's light has shone in the darkness, but we didn't like it. We didn't like it. We preferred the darkness. We preferred to be able to hide. We, we like the way the darkness lets us keep ourselves uh, private and secret. And <clears throat> what we've known and what people who have studied the truth know is that It's really hard to admit that you've been believing a lie. It's really hard. There's a, uh, a documentary on Netflix called Major Look, and it's about art. <clears throat> and specifically, it's about uh, a woman named Ann um, Ann Friedman, who was the uh, she was in in, uh, in charge of the manager of the uh, the Newler Gallery of Art in New York, and. And together with Sotheby's uh, auction house, auctioned off multi-million-dollar pieces of art. And uh, these were these were original uh, masterworks. And evidence began coming in that these these pieces of art that she was auctioning off were actually being forged in China uh, by a guy who just he, who did that. He was, was kind of like a, a a forerunner of. Uh, Chat G, you know, Chat GT, GPT, whatever. 
you know, you can just kind of tell it. Paint me a picture of dolphins freezing in ice in the manner of Rembrandt. And he could do that. <laughs> and he could do it well enough that people um, would spend millions of dollars for it. And the evidence became more and more clear that, that she was selling forgeries. And the more evidence came in, the more she doubled down and staked her reputation on the, the reality, the authenticity of these artworks until her reputation was worthless and she lost everything. And it seems weird that she would believe it that, that thoroughly, but actually um, what people who study lies and people who believe them tell us, there's a, a book called uh, The Confidence Game by <clears throat> an author named Maria Konnikova, I believe, and she says this, she says, when someone truly believes a con, when someone truly believes something that's not true, and the evidence mounts up that what they're believing is not true, they find it easier psychologically to double down. They find it easier psychologically to insist, no, I'm right and all the evidence you're mounting is fake, is false, than it is to say, I was wrong about this thing that mattered to me. Than, than it is to say, I was a fool. I was conned. And, and that's what we're looking at today. The Apostle Paul, as he is confronted by person after person who's seen Christ after the resurrection, person after person who's, who's believing the way, and he's hearing these sermons from Stephen and Peter and James, and, and they're pulling together all these Old Testament texts, and they're showing that Jesus is the, the, the promised one. He is the, the summation of all the Old Testament. Instead of him saying, okay, you're right, I was wrong, he just gets madder and matter and starts punishing it because he can't admit that he was wrong until he meets Jesus himself. And what I want us to see is that the resurrected Christ confronts our lives with the truth. He confronts our lives with the truth of his life with the truth of his, he confronts our darkness with the truth of his light. He confronts our lostness with his salvation. And this is not a one-time thing. What we have to daily do, what we have to do every day, every week, is ask ourselves, are we believing lies? And tell ourselves, remind ourselves of his truth and remind ourselves to trust in it. Please stand as we read Paul's uh, first account of his conversion. He gives two accounts. So there's three accounts in all in Acts. One is the, the story that Luke writes for us, and then Paul counts, does it twice, and so we're going to study each of them. This is the second. Hear the word of the Lord. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. And I persecuted this way to the death. 
binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem and be punished. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into darkness. And came into Damascus, sorry. And one named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, and for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what, of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I had heard, returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him, but then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. That's far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. We have to daily confront the lies that we're believing with the truth of who Jesus is and, and what he's called us to believe. And, and it's fascinating how hard it is. You see it in this text, right? The apostle uh, lays out... Paul lays out his entire story and all the, the things that have happened to him. And they were believing him, and they were believing him, and they were believing him. And then he says, I'm, Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles and preach this gospel. And all of a sudden, nope, let's kill this guy. Their, their prejudices, their, their inability to think that that could possibly be true forced them to the point of throwing all truth away with it. And that's the way it is with lies. We, we just have these assumptions, the primary assumption being that we're right. The thing that blinded Paul, the thing that blinded the Jews that he's talking to here, is this fundamental assumption that he is right. What I know for sure is I can't be wrong. He was blinded by his own rightness. 
He was blinded by his own, the, the, the purity of his, his desire to see revival amongst the Jews. He was blinded by his, by his passion. I want you to remember who Paul was at this point. He describes himself in Philippians chapter 2. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I grew up under the law. He says here, I grew up under Gamaliel. I, I knew the law. I was an expert in it. And he goes on to say in Philippians 2, he says, When it came to righteousness by the law, I was blameless. I was blameless. And yet, the truth about Jesus could not penetrate him. He was completely and absolutely sure. And in being completely and absolutely sure that he was right, he reveals that he was 100% wrong. He was 100% wrong, not only about Jesus, but about his entire view of the law, of who God was, and life. And that's us, isn't it? I mean, do you go through life with this uh, assumption that maybe I'm wrong? Maybe I don't know the whole story. It's funny whenever that kind of crashes in on us, isn't it? Maybe I don't know the whole story. Maybe I'm wrong. My wife, we were just sharing stories about how this is true about us um, this weekend. And she reminded me of a story when she was, uh, when we lived in, in Mississippi, and she was getting some presents made and needed them to be embroidered. And she went to this embroidery shop to pick up her presents, and, and it was just closed. Just the middle of the day, just closed. She was so mad. You know, just, what, uh, what's going on? How, what are the irresponsible people in this town are just irresponsible. I can't believe they'd be closed. She, finally, she went back the next week. A woman came to her, clearly had been, had been weeping. She said, I'm sorry, my husband just died last week. Just haven't been able to get things done. She's like, and, and, and Bianca, it, just everything about her just changes, right? It's like, oh, oh, that was more important than my towels. You were, I, I was wrong. I was wrong about who you were and, and what was going on. Is it, that's just the question we have to carry around with us. Is it possible that you're wrong? I mean, most of you, you're here on a negative degree day, so you probably have some relationship with Jesus, and I approve of that. But this isn't a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Living in, in the light of the truth and living outside of this, this darkness of the lies, it, that is a, a, a daily act of repentance and faith. Do we live in truth? And it's easy, and this is the place to start, is, is this, this possibility, this humility that says, it is possible that I'm wrong. It's possible. And, and the ways that we can find out are by looking at, how do we know? I mean, if you were deceived, how would you know it? It's a great question, right? Because you wouldn't. If you were deceived, you'd be deceived. If you were deceived and know it, you'd be a fool, right? 
But if you were deceived, you wouldn't know that you were deceived. And so we have to kind of have tests to see if it's there, to see if lie is there, to see if deception is there. And so there, there are different ways that we can test it. And the easiest one is, what does this what are these truths that I'm living by? What are these truths that I'm believing? What are they producing in me? What are they producing in me? Just as a general attitude toward my fellow humans. Let's just start there. Let's start as general as we can. If my, my general attitude toward fellow humans is anger, then there's a lie in there that I'm believing. It's interesting to compare Jesus with Saul of Tarsus. Because we're told that Saul was breathing out oaths, going from city to city, angry. How did Jesus view lost people? He saw them as harassed and lost, and he had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, we're surrounded by lost people. And we can be honest in here. They make us crazy. They don't know how to drive, right? They don't know how to think right or talk right. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to dress at good restaurants, right? They ruin my, my, my experiences by showing up where I don't want them. They don't know golf etiquette. They don't know all kinds, they don't know things. And there's a, there's a, that, that, my response to them tells me what I am believing. Are they enemies? Am I angry? I was talking to a friend recently who said that whenever he sees a, a hybrid car, he just wants to run it off the road. Because self-righteous people drive those. I said, that's funny, because every time I'm passed by a huge pickup like yours, I want to run it off the road. What lies are we believing about these people? Are they harassed and hungry like sheep without a shepherd? Or are they my enemies because they disagree? And do I believe that this thing that we disagree about is so important that I would call them enemies? What, what, what do the lies that I'm believing, what are they producing in me? That's the best way to test them. We, we can all find the evidence we want. If we want to say, no, I'm, what I'm believing is true, we can find evidence to back that up. I know. I have believed some stupid things in my life. And I had evidence to back them up. I believed that Big Tobacco were the good guys back in the 80s. I thought they were being harassed by the stupid liberals who didn't want us to smoke anymore. I took up smoking in response. That was stupid. That was against so much evidence. You know, I, after I confessed to you all, you know, I was a... I was a, a, a chaplain for the Sons of Confederate Veterans and were convinc was convinced that the South was right. That was foolish and harmful. Backwards. And, and yet I was so sure I was right. So sure. 
If you want to justify a position, you can find it. But if you'll look and see what kind of emotional responses it's creating, I think you can find whether it's true or not. Is it making you more loving towards your brothers? Is it making you more gracious, more compassionate? Is it making you see others like sheep without a shepherd? Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this, Whenever our religion makes us feel better than others, whenever we feel that our religious life is making us feel better than someone else, we may be sure that we're being acted on not by God but by the devil. That's just not what true religion does. We know that. Jesus is very clear. If you're going to be one of mine, you're going to be a servant. You know what it's like out there amongst the the unbelievers? They like to order each other around. That's what they do. It's not going to be like that amongst you. You are going to be a servant if you're one of mine. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What are these truths that you're believing? What are they producing? And then beyond just this general rubric of of how is it making you feel toward humanity how is it making you feel toward life i think i want to be very careful but i'll say this okay i think a lot of us struggle deeply and eternal internally and eternally never endingly because we believe lies and we just won't renounce them and, and what I mean by that is this. I was having a, a conversation with um, Mark Davis, the pastor at uh, Park City's Presbyterian in Dallas. And he said, you know, we spend jointly, the people in my church, spend millions of dollars on therapy, on medication, on all these things to deal with depression and anxiety. And nobody seems to be getting better. Nobody seems to be getting better. And I do think there's a spiritual element. There's a spiritual element there that we're just not renouncing lies. We insist on, we we, we just refuse to plant our anchor on certain truths about who God is and what does he think about us. Now, y'all know me. I'm a full-court press guy, okay? I'm not ever going to say anything negative about therapy or medication. I'm on both continually and will be probably for the rest of my life. But there's also a time when I have to, I'm fighting against these voices, you know, and I'll, I'll be saying to myself on a weekend night that, You know, nobody cares about me. Nobody would even know if I disappeared. And I have to renounce that and say, that's not true. It's not true. It's a lie. And I have to choose to live in the light. I have to choose to live in the light that condemns my my cynicism and my anger and my fear. I have to choose to to renounce the lie that says something bad is going to happen to me. What? What's going to happen? I don't have to live in a continual anxiety. I can live the truth that... I can live the truth that God is at work and He is protecting me. I love the way the uh, 
Heidelberg Catechism takes Jesus' words and puts them in order and, and says, you know, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am so well protected by my Savior that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Sometimes you have to just choose which truth you're going to live by. Well, there's only one truth. That's the truth. Or are you going to believe the lies? It's hard to tell sometimes whether we're believing lies or not. We have to look at it from the results end and say, what attitudes are dominating me? What do I see? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me? Or am I... Am I living like somebody who believes lies? Jesus then shows us how he deals with it. How does he deal with uh, Saul's lies? He, he hits him with light. He is he's the exact same thing, actually, um, that happens when uh, the shepherds see the angels on Christmas Eve, right? The light, the glory of God shines around them. The, the Shekinah glory of God appears and it is so much light, it throws him to the ground. It's, a, it's overwhelming. It's like if you live with one of those terrible morning people. And they wake up, and they throw the curtains open, and it feels like the light is a physical thing that's hitting you. You ever felt that way? I was like, ah! Bianca. Actually, neither one of us are morning people, so we don't do this to each other. But sometimes you'll describe it like, uh, um, you know, the light, the light. Like, is it Gollum? <laughs> like, like it's a physical thing that's going to destroy. Like, it's just too heavy. It burns. And, and that's the way Paul felt, just the light himself. And, and, and it's like... Um, it's kind of like Jesus is uh, wearing the, the T-shirt that Deion Sanders wore all year, where he says, "Hey, you've been looking for me. I ain't hard to find. Here I am. You you trying to stamp me out? Here I am." And Jesus appears to him, and in in doing that, he, he crushes him to the ground. It makes him realize not only that he's been wrong about his. It's not just that he's been wrong about these facts, right? that uh, he's wrong about his interpretation of the Bible and his interpretation of the law, he realizes that he's wrong. Like, he's, he's broken. Something happens inside of Paul here. He goes from being the guy who says, and when it comes to, blame, when it comes to, to righteousness by the law, I was blameless, to being the guy who says, I don't know what's wrong with me. Every time I seek to do good, evil's right there with me. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I want to stop doing, I can't stop doing. I don't know what it is. He reveals to Paul his weakness, his brokenness. He reveals to Paul that he, he pollutes everything he touches. He, he reveals to him that the things that he loves, he loves too much, and he turns them into idols. The, things that, the, the blessings that God has given him, he turns into things that he, he makes him curses by thinking he has to, to live by them and he can't make it without them. And then he gives him this beautiful grace of sending him Ananias 
And Ananias speaks to, to him two words of absolute, just perfection. He comes to him and says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Me and you. I see you. We're just alike. You're lost here in the dirt. I get it. You have no idea the truth. I get it. And he sends them to fellowship. And you never see Paul by himself again. He's always with people. People who point him toward the light. Point him toward the truth. You see, that is what is necessary. If we want to be people who walk in the light, the first realization is realizing who Jesus is and, and, and realizing that he's not... To use the children's uh, references, we're not playing hide-and-seek. Jesus is not it. Jesus is home base. He's home base, and he, and he has to convince us that he's home base so that we'll come to him. And then, and then once that's done on the, on the macroscopic level, on the ma- it happens on the microscopic level every day or week, right? And that's why we need fellowship. He sends Saul, he could have given Saul his sight back and said, here, all you need is a Bible, go knock yourself out. But he doesn't. He says, you wait for Ananias. And Ananias has Saul get baptized into the church. And, and from there on out, he is in the church of, of Damascus. And he's in this community. And that's, that's pointing us toward this need we have for fellowship. If you have, <laughs> oh my gosh, did y'all watch a football game last night? You see the ice hanging from Andy Reed's mustache? That poor guy needed a friend, didn't he? He needed a friend to come up and say, buddy, you're on the camera in front of a lot of people. You need to get this. Because I don't know if it is or not, but it sure looks like snot. We need to get that out of your mustache. All right, that's what friends do. They see the things that we don't see. And that's what uh, the, the fellowship of the believers is about. It's about encouraging us and, and pointing to different things and saying, hey, you, you kind of have a chip on your shoulder. Hey, I, I think you're a little just, you're just too worried about things that are going on in the news and you can't change any of them anyway. Hey, that's not the way to talk to your wife. And it sure ain't the way to talk about your wife. It's not helping we need people in our lives to tell us when we have eyes hanging from our mustache. Because you won't see it. And that's what fellowship is for. And that's what, what we need. We need people who are able to say yes and no. Who are able to say, yes, you are important. You are Christ in you. And you are invaluable and I love you. And we also need people who can humble us. I am. Uh, I had a pastor in, in, when I was in Mississippi, and he was, he was a very good preacher in his day. And uh, he, his name is Jim Baird. He was one of the fathers of our denomination. And he came home one night. He was young, when he was young, and uh, he'd been preaching out at a missions conference, and he and his wife came in. And as they were pulling into the driveway, he said, how many truly great preachers do you think there are in the PCA right now? I mean, really good ones. And his wife, Miss Jane, looked at him and goes, one less than you think. 
We need that. You need that in your life. Those are people pointing us to the truth, keeping our feet on the ground, keeping us, reminding us that people need Jesus and we're not him. And my question is, do you know that you need it? Do you have it? Are you being that for other people? There are a thousand lies that we're going to be tempted to believe tomorrow. And some of them you're going to believe. You're just going to. And you need somebody in your life to remind you of the truth. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, breaking me down of my self-righteous ways. Uh, thank you, Lord, for taking me on this journey from knowing everything and needing no one to uh, knowing nothing and needing everyone. And Father, I pray that you would bring us all along that path. Thank you for giving us Jesus and for meeting us and showing us our weakness and our inabilities. Father, we want to be people of truth. We don't want to be angry. That's no good. We don't want to be hopeless. We don't want to be judgmental. We want to be people who point others toward Christ by serving them and by loving them. Would you give us the grace to do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.